Hi everyone, welcome back to QBD Book Club, the podcast, a show brought to you by QBD Books, your favourite book retailer. I'm your host, Victoria Carthew, and I can't wait to spend some time with you today. So without further ado, let's get into it. Double or nothing. It's a James Bond extravaganza without James Bond. It's very much, I think, a history-making book, and it's coming to us at a landmark time in history, particularly in the UK. And the lady that's done it all and put it together, thanks to HarperCollins, is with us, Kim Sherwood. Hello, and thank you for joining us. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. I, I was thinking, what do I, how do I start? What do I say to Kim? Because right now your life is, it's a little bit wow, isn't it? Because you've gone from this wonderful debut book four years ago, Testament, to writing an epic trilogy in the James Bond world, universe. A little bit wow is a brilliant way to put it. It it feels like um, a a whirlwind and a a sort of very big stage to learn on. I feel incredibly honoured and it's not your usual book. You know, it's uh, we had the launch last week in London and a sports car dropped me off. That's not, that doesn't usually happen at book Woo-hoo! events, you know, so it's a, it's a whole other thing to get used to. Absolutely. And when I read that that story of of how this all came to be and, and the life you'd led until now, are you pinching yourself just a little at, at what's going on in the surroundings for you? Pinching myself a lot. Uh, it's, it really does feel like a dream. I've said all of my life to anybody who would listen one day I want to write James Bond and it's sort of a lesson in saying far-fetched dreams out loud and maybe one day you'll say it to the right person. And now, um, so the for, for those who don't know, the Fleming family still run these books. So for me to have the opportunity to get to know Ian Fleming's family, um, to get to meet other Bond writers, you know, to get to... I, I, I met Anthony Horowitz and Charlie Higson first at the film premiere. They do a sort of special premiere just for the Flemings and they invite their writers along. And we all kind of went off in a corner in a huddle, you know, and we were talking about the hardest thing about writing Bond being the villains. And and I really felt like I was kind of floating up outside of my body and like looking down at this and thinking, God, if my 12 year old self could see this happening, you know, it feels pretty extraordinary. Oh, absolutely. And, and somewhere in there taking notes so you can remember every single thing they said, you know, absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. as well. Amazing. But as you said, the, the Fleming family, it's still it's still their baby. And when I said yeah. making history, it's because you're the first woman that's been able to do this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an incredible honour in so many ways. One of them is that I, I feel really honoured to join the legacy of women that maybe isn't as visible as the legacy of men in this in this genre and, and in this world as well. So my new character, 003, Johanna Harwood, she's named after the real-life Johanna Harwood, who um, co-wrote the screen adaptations of Dr. No from Russia with Love. And that was because I sort of wanted to dip my hat to the first woman to write Bond, and then, of course, there have been others, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Rising on No Time to Die, Samantha Weinberg, Writing the Money Penny Diaries. So for me, I feel not only honoured to, to follow writers like Kingsley Amos and Sebastian Folks and Anthony and Charlie, uh, but also, you know, that amazing line of women as well. So you're joining us, as I said, um, history making, you're joining us from Edinburgh, of course, and this is a really unique time in the history of the world, but certainly in the UK. And, and I've seen some writings from you about actually meeting the Queen and your grandfather meeting the Queen. So this is a pretty extraordinary time in history to be putting out a book that is quintessentially, you know, British. And yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's very strange. It's very strange timing. So we had the we had the London book launch, then we had an Edinburgh book launch. Um, and that was actually when I heard that the Queen had passed away after the event in the signing queue. Um, the first gentleman in the signing queue said to me, oh, you're the last writer to write on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it sort of took me a moment to work out what he was saying, because the Queen, in lots, in lots of ways, like Bond, feels like 
an icon feels like something that that can't end and of course she was also human and has a human end so that that took a moment for my mind to adjust and I, I think we're seeing that across the country on a much bigger scale um but yeah I sort of just been reflecting on I, I was lucky lucky to meet the queen uh just over 10 years ago now just after my, my grandfather died my grandfather was an actor George Baker and I was asked to to represent my university in a kind of ceremony at the palace and you know it was, it was an honor to, to meet the queen but what felt most important to me in that moment really was the connection to my grandfather because the queen had given him his MBE he'd met her across his career as an actor so to sort of feel like I was I don't, I don't know it was like a, a line of connectivity to him you know in that and that just after losing him so that meant a lot to me oh absolutely and then as you say I got a little bit of goosebump when you said it that her majesty's secret service and and this is the last book that we'll have yeah. that's quite a thing absolutely and when you think about that line of history so Queen Elizabeth acceded to the throne the same year Ian Fleming sat down to write Casino Royale you know 12 books two short story collections six actors 60 cinematic years one queen it, it really is an extraordinary moment in history definitely now I'm hundreds of years older than you I, I was kind of Roger Moore days right so when did you no. first fall in love with in terms of the film adaptations when did you first fall for Bond so my bond was Pierce Brosnan and it was oh, first yeah. seeing him on the TV. I, I, was, I was too young, sadly, to see GoldenEye in the cinema. So it was when they first came onto the TV. And I just remember this sensation of standing in the living room, you know, I was under 10, watching the, watching the TV. And I, I kind of remember my mind moving and being like, who is that man? And just being completely pulled in by how suave he was, how charming, how charismatic, how funny. But also he has a kind of darker, angrier, buried beneath the surface. So I just kind of wanted to be that character. You know, it's it immediately drew me. Oh, fantastic. And did you then, so then obviously you fell in love and then there's the, all the movies and then there's the books. We know that um, over time when we've seen like the Star Wars spin-offs or the Marvel, there's all these backstories and other things we need to know. What about for you, when you're writing a trilogy about different double O's, did you have to make sure you knew every single element of every single Bond history? So yes and no, in a way. There's been so many different Bond continuation novels and the comic books and the, and the yes. video games and all of these things. It would be impossible and a sort of mad Sisyphean task to try and bring it into a unified world in the way that we see with more modern incarnations like the MCU so for me it was really about revisiting Fleming I've loved Fleming's writing since I was 12 he's been one of my favorite writers since I was a teenager so just going back and rereading all of his books and that was what I considered canon but then I had a, a kind of challenge because the Flemings wanted me to take the universe and bring it into the 21st century on the page so to tell a contemporary story but to pick up from Fleming. So I had to sort of come up with my own headcanon, uh, my version of Ian Fleming's stories that take place in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, in order to make this make sense and still have James Bond without him being, you know, 100 years old. And, and challenge accepted. Yes, I can do that. <laughs> so yeah. in Double or Nothing, we meet some new double O's. We meet 003, 004, 009. But I imagine that getting to that point that this is when you're the one, you're the one that gets to do this. How mm. was that? I mean, there must be some parameters and some rules. And tell me about the setup and how that happens. It was very surreal. I was having a bad day at work. 
and uh, nothing will nothing will cheer you up like this phone call my phone call uh, from my agent she called and said the Flemings would like to talk to you about writing James Bond and I just didn't believe her at first I thought this was just like you know sort of not very funny joke yes <laughs> and then I realized that she meant it um so they'd they'd heard how much a fan I was they were looking for a new young writer to come in and they were looking for somebody who's really a fan and they invited me to send them a letter with some ideas what would you do with this franchise but they also asked is there something is there some way she can kind of demonstrate her love of Bond because of course anybody can say I love James Bond but yes. is there a way to sort of evidence that love because this is their family legacy you know it's important to them that you care about it so luckily my mum had kept a school report that I'd written when I was about 13 the homework was a writer fan author you admire I made this little booklet on Ian Fleming and uh, we still had that so I scanned oh. that I sent it to them and I just said you know this would be the dream of a lifetime here are my ideas they liked my ideas they'd liked my debut novel they invited me to lunch and it was actually at that lunch where I realized that it was really happening I thought I thought maybe this was still the sort of getting to know you period and then we kind of toasted and I realized oh I've, I've got the gig that's a message for all the parents out there that have tubs of books and old reports in the right. attic do not yeah. throw them out because one of them one day bless your mum for hanging on yep. to that that is extraordinary yep. Yep. That, it really was extraordinary yeah you know well done you because you obviously knew from the very beginning so did you have this kind of back catalog of stories and spies and what you wanted and if you ever could what you would do that was all there for you already yeah I really all of my life I've kind of looked at the world through this lens so not only Ian Fleming but I love John Le Carre's writing, Graham Greene, Peter O'Donnell, um, Eric Ambler you know these these writers who kind of in a way are chroniclers of our time post post-war post-world war ii and that's informed I think my writing I even if I'm not writing spy fiction so where whenever I go somewhere new I'm always taking notes um, how, how would you evoke this place on the page? And I'm always thinking, you know, if you were a spy, where would you do the dead drop and how would you escape out the back? And like, you know, like, okay. You must so be fun to be at a party with. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> That's fantastic though. And so you, so you either could be an author or you could probably be a spy by now. It sounds like you're well-educated enough. I mean, no comment. <laughs> Uh, that is their undercover I've got it I've got it yeah. so it's an incredible <laughs> kind of premise to be able to have a James Bond story without James Bond in it but you still manage to give him a, a real presence don't you I'm not going to give away any spoilers but you do give him a presence that's right it was sort of a challenge for me because the the parameters that the Flemings gave me where they wanted it to be set in the 21st century and they wanted to expand the James Bond universe and bring in new double O characters and it was up to me who those characters were and how I went about it but the challenge is James Bond because you know he's a star if he's on the screen or the page that's who you want to pay attention to he has his own gravity and and that's where your eyes go so that's a challenge for new characters and I thought I'll, I'll kind of bake that challenge into the plot itself and I'll say he's missing he's missing from the beginning MI6 don't know where he is he's been captured possibly even killed they're not sure and these new double O agents are trying to find him so the, the problem or challenge for me as a writer became the challenge for the characters in the story itself 
Oh, and I say the challenge for the reader, because from the moment you pick it up, you're, you're kind of breathless <laughs> and worrying and kind of, you know, rushing your way through it. So tell us about the three. You didn't just give us one double O, you gave us three. Um, they're all so different, but so right and so double O. Tell us how you decided on the three characters. And, and also, I guess, to make sure they all got their own air and their own presence in the in the book as well. That's right. So, yeah, I have these, these three kind of principal protagonists driving the story and I thought about it like a star I was sort of I thought about it like I was mapping a universe and that if James Bond was the star at the center of this universe and he had a gravity there will be some other characters who are pulled to his gravity because they have very personal relationships with him so they're, they're, they're close to him in my map of the story and then there'll be other characters who who don't have such a personal relationship with him so they're further away so they are kind of mapped out in my mind is there's 003 Johanna Harwood who I mentioned earlier um, she started life as a trauma surgeon before something happens that means she comes to the attention of Money Penny. Money Penny's now had a promotion. I felt yes. a long overdue promotion. That was so She's exciting. Can I tell you? That was so exciting. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. She's now head of the AA section and she recruits Harwood. Um, Johanna Harwood's had a romantic relationship with Bond. I think this is a school of sex that you find that very early on. Yes. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't go well, you know, because it's bond it's not lasting um and she then gets together with 009 Sid Bashir who bond has mentored so this is a slightly uncomfortable um love triangle in the workplace Sid Bashir has a sort of very philosophical mind very mathematical mind very strategic quite different from bond in some ways he's a former chess champion I loved um, his smarts that was so appealing about him his smarts and his mind wasn't it thank you yeah I really wanted to bring that in because um you know, with both of them, I was thinking about, well, with all of the characters, I was thinking about how can I differentiate them from Bond in interesting ways? You know, you don't just want a carbon copy. And with Harwood, I was thinking about this idea of a license to kill, which sounds kind of fun and sexy on the surface. But when you think about it, that's such a tremendous burden that, that each of those characters has a personal response. And I wanted to explore that. So I started to think about what's the opposite to a license to kill. And it seemed to me to be the Hippocratic Oath, the doctor's oath to save anybody, no matter who they are, which is why I kind of came up with the idea for Harwood of this medical background. And then for Bashir, you know, Bond is often referred, musically in the films, uh, to as a blunt instrument, which isn't really a reading film I agree with, but I thought I'll, I'll kind of, if, he, if he's the blunt instrument in people's minds, um, contrast that with Bashir as like a very fine scalpel of a mind. And then there's 004, Joseph Dragon, who's sort of a little bit further away from Bond in the map of my universe because they didn't have a personal relationship. Um, he's former special forces. He was a soldier. He's injured in Afghanistan. He's medically downgraded. And this is a really common route. Um, <clears throat> I was told by those in the know uh, that soldiers with that much experience who can no longer serve on the front line become spies because they have all of those skills, you know. So um, that has been his route into MI6. Fantastic. They're so different, but they've all got these. As I'll, actually, that makes me wonder now. So, in your universe, do you then divide that mm -hmm. universe, and how do you work out who gets what? Because it's you, you need to give them yeah. all their sort of star turn, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So that really shaped the structure of the book. Um, like I thought about it, like we've got these two threads almost that then interweave together. So we've got Harwood and Bashir, 003 and 009, who are trying to find James Bond, and they're investigating this kind of shadowy private military organization that they suspect might have something to do with his disappearance and then you've got 004 joseph dryden who's investigating tech billionaire sir bertrand paradise he claims that he can halt the climate crisis through geoengineering 
and MI6 want to work out if his intentions are you know, quite as pure as that. So uh, Joseph Dryden is investigating that. So you've got these two different threads or strands that then kind of intersect and interweave through the book. There's, of course, many other things that are in the Bond universe that you must include, and you've done it so beautifully for us as well. Um, the must-dos, I suppose. And I'm wondering for you, the research you got to do, was there some time with gadgets and new technology? Did you get to do any of that fun stuff? Well, so the, the, the sort of funny thing in a way about the writing process is I was writing this in, uh, we had three lockdowns here in the UK. Yes, I know you had yes. more and longer, but um, I was writing it through lockdown. So for most of the book, uh, I just couldn't get out of four walls, which is a funny way to write a kind of, um, you know, jet setting, location hopping story. And I couldn't really get my hands on things, which was very counterintuitive for, for my writing process. I had to kind of learn a different way to write. But after the lockdowns, just towards the end of the writing process, I was released and had a, a chance to. There's a, there's a new there's a new car in the book, Alpine 003's car. Yes. Um, and I said to the Flemings, you know, look, in order for me to write about this authentically, I do think someone needs to take me out of sports. <laughs> so, so um, well done. they brought it <laughs> Just essential for the writing process. Um, they brought the Alpine up to Edinburgh. And it actually kind of was essential for the writing process because I'd never been in a sports car before. I always knew them to be incredibly aesthetically beautiful objects of design, but I'd never had that like visceral experience. So we got in this car, it's most beautiful. It's the a, uh, A110S and Thunder Grey. This beautiful car. I don't know if you know Edinburgh, it's lots of kind of winding, cobbled, beautiful. very old street. So we're kind of driving around and it's you're very low to the ground and you're feeling the cobbles, but we couldn't we couldn't really open it up. So I was like, this is gorgeous, but you know, sort of doing the job of any other car. Yeah. Don't really get it. And then we get out of the centre and I was being taken out by an actual race car driver. And we went, we got to this long road and uh without warning me he just he just completely floored it and i felt like you know i left my spine several city blocks behind me and it was so amazing it was so fun so oh, that right. like completely changed how i was writing that chapter you know uh, but I, at that point like, it was still a secret i wasn't allowed to tell anybody what i was writing it was a secret for a long time and so this race car driver was taking me out and he was told i was a vip but but not why um and so he asked me, you know, what do you, what do you do? And I was making notes as he was driving, so I thought I've got to explain this. So I said, oh, I'm I'm a I'm a writer, and I'm writing a book about cars, but I can't actually drive. That's my terrible confession. I can't I can't drive. So you know, so they they, they paired me with you, so I can see what the cars like. Um, and there's a bit of science. And he turned to me and said, so you're writing a, a book about cars, but you can't drive yourself. <laughs> I just realised like. Just the worst cover of the world. Like, like, you are not a spy, Kim Sherwood. You are actually an author. <laughs> Terrible yeah. cover. Yeah, the worst cover of the world. Ah, <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you totally, that is the worst. I wonder if he knows now that you were the one. Like, that'd be really interesting to know if he knows it's you now. Well, then when it was announced, they got on the phone with me and um, they were very, very kind. And because at the time I'd been asking all these questions, like, you know, if you were uh, sort of in a chase at night on a mountain, what would the car be doing? And he's like, what kind of book are you writing? <laughs> so it's good to actually be able to ask your brother questions. Oh, that is that is absolutely fantastic. And how like, fun and exciting. And you're right, essential research uh, that clearly would have changed the way you went about things. But no, no guns and gadgets, no secret pens, no phone shoes, no... No exploding pens in this one. It was really interesting, like researching the technology. Ian Fleming was really interested in the technology of his time, kind of what was yeah. cutting edge. And so I was looking at technology that intelligence organizations are using and um 
that's how the and again this isn't i don't think this is too much of a spoiler because you find out no. very early on but that's how the idea for q came about so q is now a quantum computer um which you know q quantum felt like an irresistible pun but also it kind of came from research because intelligence organizations now are using quantum computing and using artificial intelligence to crunch these massive data sets of you know terrorist financial transactions that otherwise would take years to just to sort of sift through and make sense of so they're these computers that you know theoretically can think fast enough to solve the climate crisis and time travel and all of these massive concepts um but this is what we're using them for currently so I thought I, I'll, I'll kind of bring that in and then there's a group of people around the computer. Yes, yes, yes. And it's the people. So, you know, it's a, it, it is such a, I actually loved that shift in technology that we saw it in a different way. And, and it was almost when you talked about contemporizing it and that's what the Fleming's wanted, I can understand why they wanted something like that because it does bring it into, into this era and generation. Yeah. You, of course, yeah. have the beautiful, fabulous travels around the world and who gets to go to Hong Kong and who gets to go, you know, you've got all of that. But there's also that kind yeah. of um, fun sexuality kind of tension stuff that we know from James. And you play that in in very different ways, don't you? Thank you. Yeah. Well, so that for me is kind of at the heart of it. It's relationships between characters. That's what gives you conflict and conflict is the engine for story. Yes, you get conflict from the external stuff. What's the antagonist doing? What does he want? Um, but what kind of interests me as the writer is how does that impact on the characters? And having this opportunity to kind of have a wider cast of double O's, it meant that I could think about romance in a different way. Yeah. You know, with Bond, usually it's that he meets one or two people on his mission and his, his relationship, if we'll kind of call it that, uh, lasts for the duration <laughs> of that mission. <laughs> and that's about it. Um, but this is a chance to maybe do some deeper histories, which I've always been really interested in when it does crop up in Bond. You know, we see it. Um, on the screen in Tomorrow Never Dies, we see sort of deeper relationships, actually quite a few times through the Fleming novels, more so than um, in the films, particularly on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So it's a chance to kind of get into that. So as I said, we've got this love triangle between Harwood, Shear and Bond and all of the kind of crunchy conflict that that brings. And then with Joseph Dryden, that was a chance for me to think differently about the mercenary. I've always been like really intrigued by mercenaries. They're obviously never sent to stage, but why is this person within within like the realms of the story why are they prepared to put everything on the line for what the villain wants it's not even what they want but but they give their whole lives over yes, to these people yes 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 and I, you know and i and i started to think about how does that map onto reality and it seemed to me it was like someone being radicalized someone being kind of um turned into an extremist through the pressure of another personality and that was kind of the seed for thinking about Dryden's relationship in the books. As I said, he was a soldier. Um, uh, when he was in special forces, he had a romantic relationship with his comrade, Luke. Um, it was very important to the both of them. But then when they both left the army, they drifted apart and they, they had very different routes. And Dryden's been taken in by MI6. And Luke's life has fallen apart and he's suffered, as many veterans do, PTSD, homelessness, addiction issues. And this figure, Sir Bertrand Paradise, has taken him in, but, but Dryden has to question how virtuous is that. So their romance is kind of rekindled, but it's through this very tense prism of possibly being enemies now before where they were the closest of comrades. So that for me, it just as a writer, was like really fun and crunchy to get into. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's just another fantastic way you've modernised it and you've given us some more undercurrent, you know, and some more grit to it all as well. When you, you can't help but um, with some books, read it and wonder what's, how it looks on the screen and anything in this type of 
you know, Bond, you're always thinking about a movie. That must be challenging as a writer because you know that at the end of the day, the book is, this is about a book, but you know that it's famous for its films. So that would have been quite a challenge, I imagine. Yeah, and you can't put it out of your mind and there's no point really even trying because I feel like we've, you know, in our collective unconscious, we ha we have the film language of Bond. But the way I looked at it was it goes back to Fleming. Fleming was an incredibly visual writer. And I think that the, the films took a visual language from him. So if you look at something, for example, like in, in Goldfinger, the novel, when Bond wakes up in the hotel and he looks out of the window and it describes the, the scene of the hotel and the, and the shore and the flags and the boats and the people and the pools, that's almost a sort of exact, um, you know, it's almost exactly transliterated or replicated on the screen in the film of Goldfinger. The camera kind of does the same pat that Fleming yeah. writes for Bond's gaze. So I think when they when they were making those films, the early films, they they were really blessed by some incredible writing and some incredibly visual writing. So I looked to Fleming for my cue on that. How did he influence the films? And that kind of took me back to the source. Um, but it also helped me you know, because there's, you do see it cinematically, but of course there are differences between how you'd write it for screen and how you write it on the page. And with the, with what's on the page, you have a chance for interiority with the characters in a way that they have to express differently on film. And Fleming's writing is also very interior. He really gets into Bond's mind in a way that if people aren't familiar with his writing, it might surprise people. So that was another kind of cue I took from him, how to make the most of point of view in the story. I absolutely love your passion and commitment and it's, I can see why they chose you, like you live and breathe it, but you're so true to the craft, you know, um, not just true to the characters and the genre, but also you're true clearly to your craft as well. So we've got Double or Nothing right now, and then there's going to be two more. I'm presuming you're possibly well advanced into all of that as well and you know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. So that was exciting, having this opportunity of a trilogy, you know, thinking in terms of really long arcs for the characters. And for me, they are discrete stories, you can read them as standalones, but they kind of flow together in my mind because they pick up on the story, they pick up on the characters, um, as well as dealing with different characters in each one. So I started to write book two when I was editing book one. Um, so there was that sense of kind of flowing together. And now I'm coming up on the ending of book two. I've just got a, you know, a few chases and explosions to go. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of bombs to throw. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is very exciting indeed. Well, congratulations. I know it's been a whirlwind couple of years for you and certainly a whirlwind time the last couple of weeks with all that's happening in the UK uh, and certainly with the release of the book. And I tell you, you have lifelong bragging rights. You're doing something very special and exciting. Dream big and keep your primary school report cards because they will matter. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thank fantastic. You so Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. I think you're going to give a lot of readers big thrills. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for your company today on QBD Book Club, the podcast. We'll chat again soon.